0: Lord we are on holy ground we ask you to speak your servants are listening give us ears to hear what the spirit says we pray in Jesus name amen well it's has a good morning as we've uh, celebrated the fact of what we really are God's new humanity We've been talking about this now for a number of weeks as we've looked at Jesus' description of this in what we call the Sermon on the Mount that he gave to his disciples, like a new Moses saying, you are my people and here's what it's like to live in my kingdom. And in today's passage, Jesus instructs God's new humanity to live in in another better way. Week by week, we're trying to take a little slice and see what it means. In fact, if you go back to the beginning where Jesus said, blessed are, that's another way of saying the people who are part of God's new humanity are so much better than they were before, so much better than the old humanity. And what we get to talk about today is the way we value money. And Jesus will explain and show us and challenge us that we can be far better in the way we do that than the typical way of, could we say, materialism on one side or minimalism on the other side. Jesus is going to tell us, that how we see our money makes all the difference. His upside-down kingdom is not one in which his followers either love money or hate money, but, well, I'll just say it's radically different than either one of those two. Now, in our passage today, Matthew chapter 6, if you have your copy of the Scriptures, we'll read it in a moment, Beginning in verse 19, Jesus uses three simple images to talk about our treasures, specifically our money. It's Matthew chapter six. So let's read it. You follow, I'll say it out loud. Many of you know parts of this almost by heart. And if you uh, are able to just look up at the screen, behind me, you'll see that I, I kind of made the scriptures, uh, I don't know what to say here, uh, it's, I, I broke it apart so that you could see the parallel thoughts that Jesus is saying, okay? So uh, I'm not trying to do violence to the text of scripture, but just to show you what's embedded there. So let's read it. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will Hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's not really that difficult, is it? From the first where he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, to the last, where he says, you can't simultaneously serve two lords or masters. Ah, that's, I mean, what can I say? Well, let me just review it one more time. The, the first one is really asking us, which treasure are we storing up? There's a difference between treasure in heaven and treasure on earth. And some of you might be thinking, like I've been thinking all week, so what exactly is treasure in heaven? Because I think I know what treasure on earth is. I'll come back to that in just a minute. The second metaphor is a little more, I don't know, does it sound strange? Your, your eye is the lamp of your body. Well, when I think of a lamp, you know, a flashlight, that gives light, my eye doesn't, (laughs) I hope it doesn't produce light, right? It receives light. But this is a metaphor, Jesus is saying, our eyes are to our physical bodies what like a gateway would be to anything else. Uh, It's saying that our eyes are a metaphor For our hearts. You know, if I didn't have eyes up here that were working, I would fall off the stage. The eye is the light that gives me, in my body, the knowledge or the warning so that I protect myself. Eyes stand for hearts. Jesus says that healthy eyes mean generous hearts and Unhealthy eyes point to stingy hearts that live in greed and darkness. The third image is pretty simple. Even though it comes out of a social context that we don't have anymore, in our neighborhoods, in our worlds, uh, slavery, Roman slavery, where you had people who owned people, In American history, sadly, we have had that and still bear the marks of that suffering. Um, This metaphor asks, who is your master and who are you serving? And if you're like some of us that work two jobs, uh, you might think, well, it works. You You can have two bosses or more and manage that. But again, that's mixing the metaphor. He's not talking about our kind of employment. He's talking about the masters that demand total loyalty because they own you. And Jesus says we can't simultaneously give ourselves either to, do you want to call it, master God and master money. And that's why this topic of money can be a a touchy subject, can't it? I dare say we're all somewhat interested in what I'm about to say here because we live in this, right? So, uh, if Jesus says the same thing here in three different ways, something about a heavenly treasure, generous eyes, generous hearts, and serving God, well, it's got to be really important for him to say it in three different ways— Three times to make an impact. Well, we know that. Not only is this crucial, but it's where we live, right? When Jesus talks about the treasure of money, it's easy to get our attention because it is tied to our hearts. Where your treasure is, your heart is. So, let's let's see if we can spend a few minutes then the rest of my time talking about what does it what does jesus really tangibly mean because i think there has been some misunderstanding in christian history and maybe with you or someone you know what does he really mean that you can't serve god and money because doesn't it 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 almost sounds like Jesus is saying, have nothing to do with money. But we all have money, we all make money, we all spend money, we want more money, and we probably like money, if we're honest. So, what does this mean? Well, if if I could just say, if we go outside of Jesus' words in the Gospels, and look at the whole Bible, Jesus cannot mean that We, let's say, tolerate money as a necessary evil at best, or at worst, we become minimalists and money haters. Let me just give a quick scan of some passages in Scripture. Here's one in the book of Proverbs. It says, if you're not caring about working and life and kind of feeling lazy, Go to the ant, you sluggard, look at what the ant does. and without reading all the verses there, you can find them in Proverbs chapter six, verses six through eight. Uh, nature has built an economic system there. Watch the ant does what it does, and it does it all the time, and it does it because it wants to do it, and it does it well and. We need to be like ants. Well, what does that mean? Well, obviously, they're doing something with their stuff. They're not just sitting around waiting for ant heaven or something like that. Now, listen to what Jesus said in Luke twenty-two thirty-six. 36. I know I'm kind of picking a, a verse out of its context here, but listen to his words. He tells his disciples, but now... Whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. It doesn't sound like Jesus is saying, sell everything. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives, especially those of their own household, their family, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well how do you provide for your family without some money and some stuff and, and some goods? So I'm just going to make a blanket statement, I, I think this is correct, that God never commands every person to give away all their possessions, never. Now. I know, Jesus did tell one man to do it, but that was because he was worshipping all his stuff, and it was Jesus pushing in on it to see if he would give a little bit. And if you remember, it says, he went away sorrowful. But when you think about it, if everyone was supposed to give everything away, then to whom would they give their possessions if nobody is supposed to have anything? It's contradictory. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. So, please, if I could just clear a little of the brush out here. When, When Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven, he's not demeaning things, possessions, money. He must be saying that storing up treasures in heaven means serving God as our master, not serving money, but serving God, and then seeing our money in light of His Supreme Lordship over us and money. Does that make sense? What I'm doing with my hands here is not creating a dichotomy between money and God, or treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, but rather, creating harmony between them. It's not a question of separation, but one of integration. It means getting our treasure priority right. It means treasuring God in heaven first, and then using earthly treasures for God. See the difference? It means buying, owning, and using everything so that there will be eternal consequences for God's glory. Not only the good temporal benefits that will come. Now, what I'm I'm presenting is radically different. It's not saying money is our God, and it's not saying money is evil. It's saying in harmony, money is a tool that, be can, that can be used by Christians for God's glory. John Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says it this way It means to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. That's beautiful. That means that. Everything we do, everything we own, everything we buy, everything we use to the smallest, when it's used for God's glory, not worshiping it, echoes in eternity. That's how God's new humanity works, lives, Shops, buys, shares, invests. You see, here's here's part of the world view that you kind of have to learn. It's kind of like learning a skill, whether you're learning how to play a musical instrument, learning how to do an athletic move. You have to be trained a little bit, and the more you do it, the more second nature it becomes. Here's what it looks like. It's, it's having a worldview that says God created everything, everything, including money, and me, and you, and everyone. And during our lives, God loans us money and treasures, and it's not just money, like money, money, but it's our gifts, our skills, our time. He loans it to us so that we become managers, stewards. We don't actually own anything. If You think about it, right? Our management ends when we die. So obviously we don't own anything permanently. So it's another way of saying that having money is not bad. It's good, but it all depends on how and why we use it. And that can be exciting. So when Jesus is our master and our Lord, our relationship with him informs the way we use our stuff. Let me just, again, back off here from Matthew 6 and say, what does the Bible say about how we can use our money? Well, just a A few verses, and I'm just kind of I feel like I'm looking at the cream off the top of the milk here. Here's here's one. It's a saying of Jesus that's not found in one of the four Gospels, but Paul quotes it in the book of Acts. And you all know it, I think. You ready? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you, you run that past an accounting class, right, they're going to say, what? what that, that doesn't even function. What Blessed? What does that mean? Yes, that's part of the blessed are. That's part of this upside-down kingdom. Yeah, it doesn't make economic sense, but it makes spiritual sense. It resonates with the people of God. Here's another one. Jesus in Luke 14. When you you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's really upside down. I mean, I'm glad that I've got more to say because I can't give you a story like this. Like, yeah, I've invited people out for lunch or into our homes like that. This. this is a challenge. But Jesus says... That kind of upside-down action echoes in eternity. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Hmm. That's a challenge. Imagine doing that, spending money to build friendships that will last forever. At the same time, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So there's a sense in which we need to be careful when we use money. It's almost like... It's it's this double-edged sword, right? There's this positive benefit that comes, but Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 6, the same passage, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We're not just talking about a little mosquito flying around. We're talking about a dagger in your heart that can draw you away from God forever. Be careful. And yet, look at how Paul blends both of these in the rest of 1 Timothy 6, where he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to give away. No, for our enjoyment. Really, Paul? Yes. But at the same time, he says, command those people also to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, listen to how Paul is echoing Jesus' words. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Can you see the way Paul keeps away from the dichotomy of money is everything, money is nothing. And he says, enjoy it and share it. Because when you put money under the lordship of God as something good that God has given for you and others, you start to hear the echo in eternity. That's what it means to live in Jesus' upside-down kingdom. That's why Jim Elliot, a missionary almost 100 years ago who was murdered and martyred by people in South America, said before he died, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This book called The Treasure Principle I just saw when I looked for the graphic is now in a revised and updated edition and it's sold millions of copies. How many of you have ever heard of it before? The Treasure Principle. Well, put it on your wish list. It's not long, it's like a hundred pages, one of those small books Randy Alcorn, who's written a number of books about heaven as well as finances, says this in this book. Financial planners tell us, when it comes to your money, don't think just three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, Don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. How's that for long-term investing, huh? He also says in his book, and it's almost proverbial, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So what about it? What, what might it look like when you've got more than, a, say, a, a trip to the grocery store or filling your car with gas? Let's say you're buying a car. What would it look like? What, in other words, would it be treasure in heaven to buy this car or treasure on earth to buy this car? And you know what the answer is? It could go either way. Because it depends not on the car or how much it costs. It depends on your heart, right? The question that you would need to ask yourself, and you should ask yourself, is why am I buying this car? And I can't answer that for you. I mean, wouldn't it be rather silly and legalistic for me to say, uh, here's six things you can ask yourself, and if you can check all six, you're good to go. That's treasure in heaven. I'm not gonna do that. I don't know you, I don't know the car, I know, that's not the way you live in the upside down kingdom of Jesus. You don't live by externals that affirm you You live by a relationship with your living Lord who's put a spirit in your heart. So, what about taking a vacation? I'm only going to mention two. Oh, I don't take vacations. Oh, yeah, you do. You sleep at night, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't there some time, downtime? Yeah. Well, if you don't take one, you should take one. So what about, what does it look like? Where do you go? How much do you spend? What do you do? Who do you go with? Again, I don't have the answers. You do. And God does. And you can choose then to either build treasure on earth, where it's all about you and not about God, or you can blend it so that even a fun vacation becomes an echo in eternity. There's one more book I want to recommend on your wish list. You may have heard of this one too. Tim Keller's classic book called Counterfeit Gods. The empty promises of money, sex, and power, and the only hope that matters. He says, every treasure on this earth says, give your life to purchase me. Jesus says, I'm the one treasure who died to purchase you. He also says, Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure. And when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him your treasure. If you have never done that, I would urge you to do that right now, today, before we leave this service. Only you and God know if your heart is worshiping him or money. This part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a call to pray for wisdom, to examine our motives, to ask a friend maybe to help us evaluate our attachment to our things, to avoid judging others, for sure, and to joyfully embrace your ability to make money and use money for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, the hymn writer has given me my prayer, our prayer. Riches we heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou our inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in our hearts. High King of heaven, our treasure, thou art. May it be so. Amen.